there's anybody that can make the room any cooler by any means possible, please do so at this time. <laughs> I don't know if they will, but we'll see. Okay, open your uh, Bibles with, uh, with me. To, we're going to start off in Jeremiah 23. That's the, uh, that's the title of this, of this breakout sem- sem- seminar is Standing in the Council of the Lord. And I, this is something, this is a, a burden and just a, a word that I carry in my spirit in a specific way. It seems like for each, for, for one thing in a very specific way as I teach on the, all of our other local conferences. But there's just something about this youth gathering that always, it's whatever word the Lord gives me, it seems like it always kind of comes back to this chapter. So I want to share a little bit about this and, um, and just see what the Lord See where the Lord takes us on that journey. I have, a, I have a few really strong things on my heart, so I'm not sure how the how they're going to come forth. I just want to start off for a moment because some of you um, are new to IHOP Kansas City uh, conferences, or maybe you've you haven't heard a conference before. This is your first time. You're kind of getting to know the different IHOP staff as we speak. I had a really powerful encounter with the Lord in September of 2002. I was at home. I was praying for a friend who had asked me to just be praying for him as he was seeking some direction of changing some, some course and his, his uh, mandate at IHOP and some things like that. And I was at home in my little bedroom um, apartment that I had a, a roommate that was living with me at the time. So this is September 2002. I was in my room and praying for this friend, and all of a sudden a fear of the Lord began to come in the room. And I sensed that the Lord was going to give me a word or I was going to have an encounter that was going to have some type of corporate word dimension to it. And so as I'm sitting there, I actually ran out and grabbed my roommate, Leah Morgan, who I think might be teaching either today or tomorrow. I highly recommend her. She's awesome. Um, I went and grabbed her, and I said, Leah, come in and pray with me. I, I feel like the Lord wants me to receive something, but I need divine strength to even receive the utterance that the Lord is wanting to give me. So I ran out in the hall and grabbed her. She came in and prayed for me um, for a while. And then she said she saw fire coming up from the floor in my room. And she ran out and uh, left me alone. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so if anybody wants to go up to her and ask her about that, you can feel free. But, um, but and she did. She, I, you know, Daniel said, you know, and I alone saw the vision. And I, I was terrified by the voice. And everyone else left me. And he reminds the reader of that like three times in his account. And I always thought he was just being a wimp and he was just, you know, kind of whining. And I went, I understand that feeling. You know, they leave you alone with the terror of the Lord and the flames, you know. <laughs> So I was in my room, and so my roommate, Leah, you know, went over to her other room, but she was praying and, seek, you know, receiving some things from the Lord on the other side, to her credit, I'll say that. But, um, but, but anyway, so, so there I am, I'm sitting there, and the, and the Lord takes me into this trance-like vision, and, and it's, what, what that means is my eyes were closed, I was in this, I was in this vision like a participator in it, like as if you have a dream, but I was actually awake. So I was just sitting there. I couldn't pull myself out of it. I couldn't, there's, I wasn't aware of my surroundings. I was in that place. And that's, that's a trance. And the trances and these, you know, and many other things don't belong to the enemy. They belong to Jesus. And the enemy has their counterfeits of these encounters and has the counterfeits of what it is to see in the spirit and has the counterfeits. But all through the church history, I teach a class at our forerunner school of ministry, um, we actually have two of my classes online on video if anybody wants to do kind of a follow-up study on that. But I, I teach a class on uh, mystical communion. And I go through the history, church history, and the different radical prayer people throughout church history. And they floated, and they had encounters, and they were in two places at once. And, I mean, it was like the Bible. They were like the Bible, you know. 
And it's just so foreign to us, the things that take place in the Bible, the things that take place to the, in the prophets' lives, the things that take place in the New Testament. I remember a few years ago having a friend who was a friend of mine back in my college days come and visit me, and he said, Shelly, he said, um, you know, I've heard about this encounter that you had, and you shared it, and just different things. And he said, I just, it's a little out there to me. You, you seem a little like you've gotten weird. Something's <laughs> gone on. And I, I remember saying to him so clearly, I said, I said, no, I actually, I am not weird enough. I'm nowhere near as weird as the guys that are in this um, book right here. And so I said, you let me know if I get close to one of these guys weirdness, I might consider backing off. But right now, my life is not that exciting. So if I have a vision here or there, I'm going to keep going for it. So that's my take on that. So I'm in this trance encounter, uh, vision encounter. And it's like a, it's like a dream because I'm participating in it, but I'm sitting there awake and I see myself on this huge boat and, um, and I'm on the kind of like the bottom level of it. And it's a, a huge cruise liner, almost like, like the Titanic would be. And I'm, I'm on this boat. I come out and I stand on the surface front deck. There's nobody, nobody else is, um, up there. Actually, there, I didn't see like a lot of faces or things. It was, the boat was gigantic. It was just huge. And I'm standing there and I look ahead of this boat in the most terrifying, just, uh, devastation of a storm was right ahead of this boat. It was like, you know, a bunch of whirlwinds combined hovering over the ocean and just lightnings and, I mean, it was, it was so clear that if this boat went into that storm, it would be devastated and, and that's it. You know, it, that's what Joel speaks of when he speaks of the, 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 the devastation of the day of the Lord coming. So I'm looking at this. I'm in this encounter and I start yelling, turn, turn, turn the boat around. I realize there only the storm was not moving. Only thing that could move was that boat. That boat could turn around and go in a different way. But the storm was staying, it was remaining the same. It didn't take any interpretation for me. I knew in my spirit uh, immediately the storm was were the judgments of the Lord, the true and righteous judgments that humanity deserves. And in a very specific way, it was America. The boat was America heading into a judgment, judgments from the Lord, more judgments. And this um, this trance recurred two or three times along along with uh, well let me just continue for a second so so um, as I as I had this encounter the first time I saw the boat and I was did the whole thing because it happened three times in a row it was um, it was America and I was saying turn America I began to preach in my room there turn from your wicked wickedness you're following the culture you're you're about to be judged by the by the judgments of the Lord and I, there was something in my spirit that was like I dare not ask the Lord to not be himself I dare not ask the Lord to be less than a jealous bridegroom judge I I didn't it was like I I couldn't dare I just couldn't I just all I could say was America you better turn and then as the encounter continued, it hit again, the same trance. And the second time, it was IHOP. I was, and in my spirit, I was saying, IHOP, you have gathered, but you have not yet turned. You, you have gathered, and we have prayer shifts, and it's good. But yet, I, in my spirit, I was going, we have not yet fully turned. We, we are still so, we, we continue, We've, the Lord's helping us, but we're weak and broken, and there's so much slime and defilement in our culture that touches, yay, even us, <laughs> you know, you know, even you, you know, even, even all of us in this room. And so I'm, I'm preaching over that, and I'm saying, turn, IHOP, turn, turn, you can't continue this way. Well, um, the first time that the trance hit, I, it lifted, I opened my eyes, and I'm, and I'm just, I've had that feeling, it's not over, it's not, this encounter's not over yet. I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, I look over to the other side of my room, and I see Jesus standing in my room. I had my eyes open. 
Now, I'm not saying in any way that I saw him in the fullness of his glory or in, in, you know, in, his, in his complete form. It was a vision from the Lord. I would be dead. If I had, obviously, if I'd seen that, I wouldn't be here today. But, but I saw a face of Jesus that was enough to absolutely terrify me and dramatically change my life in a huge way. My friends know that there's pre-turn word and there's post-turn word, Shelley. And I remember... And the Lord, the Lord stood before me, and he had two torches of fire in his hand. One was the fear of the Lord, and the other one was the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he looked at me, and he said, give this to my people. And he said that in this tone of saying, of all of the things that we're asking for, of all of the things we pray for, ask for the fear of the Lord. Ask for the power to love God, those two things. And the Lord began to speak, just line upon line, just different. And he was speaking from Jeremiah 23 and a couple other passages. Line upon line, the Lord spoke about IHOP in a specific way and about how he will judge our house based on not how famous we are or if we go on God TV or not or if we whatever. He will judge us by whether or not we have the fear of the Lord and the first commandment at the heart of every single thing that we do as a community. That's what, he's, that, it's what he will judge us for. There are some other details in the word. Um, when it finished, I uh, called Alan Hood and, and Mike and the guys. I met with them early the next morning, and I ended up sharing the same word three or four times to our corporate body um, during that time. And I, that I, um, I've had some different words that the Lord has given me, but there's just never been anything like that. And so I, I don't want to kind of just let the moment go without sharing that with you. I have, um, I have a CD set. It's called The Turn Word. You can recognize it easily. It's got, the, it's got a pretty good uh, graphic. It kind of scared me when I saw it, so I told the guy he did a good job. But um, this is that encounter. It's, it has two versions of me sharing that encounter. I encourage you to get this and copy it for somebody or copy it for everybody or drop it out of a plane or say that it was your own encounter. I actually uh, heard back from somebody who did say it was their own encounter, and somebody got back to me and said, well, they said it was her. I said, okay, if she's willing to live out that word, you go for it. You know, you take that one. I don't care. But so they, they had this at the bookstore, and I want to I wanna massively encourage you to get this. I really do with all my heart. It's got... Uh, the two times I shared the word right after I had it, and Mike jumps in and starts prophesying. It's powerful. I listen to it myself every once in a while just to kind of reset my, my, my clocks on the inside. And I also have four other sermons on here that go with the theme, uh, the themes that the Lord impacted. And also my testimonies on here, which some of you, if you've heard that a little bit, it's a really dramatic testimony that, that the Lord has done in my life. So I want to highlight that. And I also, um, ShellyHunley.com, um, my, my brother, who's sitting in the back there for Christmas, uh, finally did a little admin for me, hooked me up with a website that's majorly under construction, right, Joel? <laughs> but, um, but just be looking out at that, because my goal is to have free downloads on there and just stuff that people can download onto their computers. And so we were, we're working on several things, and we'll see what we can get going in the next couple of days, but just kind of uh, keep your eye out for that. So I really wanted to share the turn word and a little bit about that. Again, it's the fear of the Lord and the first commandment. And and I just want to encourage us to really go for that with all of our hearts. Okay, Jeremiah 23, verse 28. Actually, let's back up to verse 18. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole scripture. And I, I just have several things majorly on my heart related to it. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? This is verse 18. And has perceived and heard his word. Who has marked his word and heard it? And then he comes to verse 19. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord. 
has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back. Look at that. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. Is that a packed passage or what? And it continues on in this uh, talking about these realities. But, but look at even just that right there. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts and the intents of his heart. So that, that what I was seeing when I saw that boat going into that storm, it's the reality. The storm of the judgments of the Lord are not going to disappear. They aren't. The book of Revelation can't be improved on. You can't pray off the book of Revelation. Have you read the book of Revelation? <laughs> it is intense. It is majorly intense. And, and I am so challenged every single time I read it, every t- single time I study it. Because my human frame, when I read those words in the book of Revelation, and I read of the judgments of the Lord that are going to come, my, my heart shows so much hidden um, humanistic thoughts of, of, no, you know, man will get it right. You know, you don't have to bring the judgments. Do you understand how much we need the judgments of the Lord? We need them. Right now, we're suffering for a lack of the judgments of the Lord. Because right now, and this is what all the, the, all the prophets would cry out about. They said, Lord, it looks the same to the righteous as it does to the unrighteous. How can this be? And the judgments of the Lord come in with a fierceness that says, Oh, let me tell you, this is a gracious knock, a temporal judgment, a shaking to a nation. The, even the, the final judgments that come before Jesus' return, they are gracious knocks to tell people about an eternal judgment from which they cannot escape once they enter it. It is so kind. Is it God resorting to violence? Yes, it is God resorting to violence. It is. It's terrifying. But God does resort to violence in that way. Does he cease to be the bridegroom and the tender emotions of his heart? No. He is a judge because he's a bridegroom. It's if, if, if he wasn't so in love with us, we wouldn't have this problem. If he didn't so desperately want us and, and want all of our hearts and, and jealously desire that we not be shared with any other, we would not have the problem of his fierceness. The love of God and the bridegroom message is the best message ever and the worst message ever to humanity. At the same time, it's the two together. It's the fully God, second person of the Trinity, comes, becomes a man, takes on human form, asks his father for a bride, pays the price for that bride, and from then on, it's like, okay, humanity, you better work this thing out. Because when he has gone to that length, when love has reached down so low, he will not just allow it to be scorned and let that just kind of go by. We can't have, uh, we can't have the fiery bridegroom God if we don't have the fierceness of the judgments of the Lord. He came and showed us the things that God loves. He is really intense about those things. Those, the, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and 6. I mean, Jesus loves those, he loves the way he made us to live. He loves the laws. He's not ashamed of his laws. He's not like, well, I'm sorry about that whole purity and holiness one. It's kind of a little drag. No, he put that in his heart for us so that we would, because he knows us. He knows how we function in our glory, and he is so committed to his word. He will judge us by his word. He will. He'll judge us by that standard. 
And the, the revelation of the bridegroom, this, he, he's got this, the whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury. It can't be moved. You cannot make Jesus less intense in your life. I, I was talking to a girl that was living with me for a season, coming through really hard things, alcoholism, drug, immoral stuff. And, and I said to her one day, I said, you know what your big problem is? And I know she expected me to say, you know, you're, you need to get your act together. Or, you know, you, you're really broken and you're acting in it. Whatever. Whatever she expected. I said, your problem is Jesus really, really likes you and you can't do anything to make that change. And this can be tough for you until you get in line with that. And I said, your second problem is I know it. I know that that's how he feels about you. And so when you're doing that stuff, the Lord's going to tell me, and I will call you. And I will leave a message on your cell phone. And I'll tell you again that he's jealous for you to step out of that place. But it's, it's, it's the bridegroom's desire. It's a fierceness. And the fierceness of the love is the fierceness of the fury. The two go together. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth, a violent whirlwind. It will fall. It will fall. It will fall violently on the heads of the wicked. We don't even, we are so disengaged from a concept of a judge. We're so disengaged from a God who would actually step in and act. And I just, um, I, I've been so in my life provoked to get to know him in his fierceness. That when he comes in fierce, that yes, I'll be trembling, but I will be gazing on his beauty and I'll say, all right, all right, I know that one. <laughs> Scarier than I thought, but yes. And when they say to me, is this your beloved? I will say, yes, it is my beloved. The one who's bringing down the seals, breaking them, and the bowls of wrath are spilling out, and the earth is being burned up, and the Antichrist is ruling, and all this line. You know, is it your beloved? Yeah, it's my beloved. Mm -hmm. He's madly in love with you. You better deal with it really fast and get in line with it. Okay, going forward to verse 28 here. Or actually, I'm sorry, verse 21. I have now what, what Jeremiah is speaking of. He's he's talking about the counsels of the Lord. It's not a secret room in heaven that one seer guy saw and it's blue or you know whatever. It's not like that. It's the counsel of the Lord. It is a place of a living in the counsel of the Lord. It's a it, think about it as a place of living where you stand in a position to be informed by God, where you stand in a position where He can share His burden with you. You're standing in the counsel of the Lord. You're standing, and also that means that as he's speaking to you, in those small areas in your life, you are taking his counsel. You know, we all know what it is, and I've been through it a few times. I'm, I'm thinking of Alan Hood specifically in my life, where, you know, we have a mentor in our lives. And Alan and Rachel Hood have definitely been probably the biggest mentors that the Lord's put in my life since I first um, got to know them about 10 years ago. And I know those times when I, uh, Alan gave me counsel, and I didn't want to stand in his counsel, <laughs> you know? I didn't want to take the things he was saying, but yet I couldn't, I couldn't get out of it because I respected his and, and wanted to imitate his life before the Lord. And just as a side note, if you have somebody in your life whose lifestyle is imitated, not just that their card says they're an apostle or you know they go to the neat meeting, but if you see their life and they're living the gospel generously, that's my little phrase, if they're, if they're living the gospel generously, they are going for it in a deep way, take their counsel, go for it. I mean, they're rare, but if you find one... You know, take that rebuke from, from a righteous person like that. But standing in the counsel of the Lord has that same thing. You have to actually receive the counsel that he speaks. You have to actually hear what he says. There's so much that, that goes into that reality. Jeremiah is feeling the pain of the, the, the true prophets and the false prophets. He's feeling this pain and he's going, oh, Lord, I'm standing in this counsel. And the Lord is speaking through him. And in verse 21, the Lord speaks through Jeremiah, and the Lord is speaking about some of these other people who are claiming to be prophetic voices around Jeremiah. 
And he said, he's saying to them, he cries out to them, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. This is the Lord speaking. Wouldn't that be terrified? Like you go on a ministry trip and the Lord goes, yeah, I didn't send that person. It's like, oh, you know, I mean, it's not like we have to freak out every time we do a ministry trip. But I'm trying to get the concept. Sometimes it's just good to go just preach and serve and just do it. Don't make it overly uh, mystical in that sense. But the Lord is, is hearing somebody speaking in his name and how terrifying. And the guy seemingly just continues on in a delusion that he's got it, that he's speaking the word. And the Lord's standing back going, I didn't send that guy. That terrifies me. It really terrifies me. He says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. And he says, if they'd stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way. So in a real clear way, the Holy Spirit uh, speaking here through, through Jeremiah gives such a clear reality about a false messenger. He says, if they don't turn people away from sin, they're false. And I know when I had that encounter in 2002, it just changed my whole paradigm because I began to weigh prophecy on the end of does it cause people to turn from evil into righteousness? If it does, I can keep going with it. If it doesn't, if it's just a superfluous thing and it doesn't cause you to want to be more holy, if it doesn't cause you to want to be more more the Lord's, if it kind of eases something in a, in a way that causes you to be able to stay the same, if you can stay the same after you hear the word, it's not really the word of the Lord. You know, if you I mean, if you can just keep going as usual and and you can you if you come to the word the same way and leave it the same way, it's not the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord hits and pierces and disrupts. The word of the Lord comes in and starts hacking off areas in our lives and starts messing with deep things in us. And, 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 and it's the same thing with biblical interpretation. The book of Revelation. When the book of Revelation is interpreted in a way that causes you to not have to respond to it, I, A, you're not going to be here. You know? <laughs> there you go. You don't have to respond to that. You know? B, it's all symbolic and it never means anything and he's not coming to judge. Same principle, same principle. If you can read the book of Revelation in a way that makes you not have to change something in your life, you have a bad doctrine going on. <laughs> you do. The word of the Lord causes a awkwardness to have to shift and change. It makes you feel that you're loved by God. It makes you feel that you're desired by him, but that you're chosen by him, but that you're terrified of him. <laughs> that he wants you to draw nearer to him. It messes you up in a deep level that causes you to say, he loves me, he has a plan for me, yet I am not where I'm supposed to be. And if that's going on, then you've got a good little beginnings of a prophetic spirit going on. And Jeremiah, he, he goes on and he said, I mean, in verse 22, he's saying, if, the, if these false prophets, if they had actually stood in the counsel of the Lord, people would be sinning less because of them. That's what would happen. And I just am so pained, and I know, you know, we have limited time, but... I'm so pained in my spirit over the, the, the prophetic messengers in this nation. And I know I'm just a young little whippersnapper, you know, I just turned 30, you know, I now, you know, hit the big 3-0 or something. I understand and I'm grateful for the good things, but in my spirit, I just go, yuck. I really do. I just, I look and I'm not making judgments on a specific person. I don't have anybody that I'm thinking of in my mind, but something in my spirit goes, no, the, the words that we're hearing are leaving us the same as when we came in. And it's troubling to me. And so I began to do a study on this reality of, of false... What do the, the false prophets and messengers look like? 
And I found several characteristics. One is they love comfort. They love comfort. False messengers love comfort. They, they get addicted to ease in areas of their life, and that bothers me for where we are as a nation. It's easy to be addicted to ease and comfort right now. I think one of the greatest things from my life is that I'm an intercessory missionary, and I have no idea where my next money is coming from, and I'm in a continual lean, you know. And I, and I, you know, I've been in a season of, of, of just having to lean hard on that one. It's been, I've been leaning hard. <laughs> we all know what it is to lean hard on that issue. But I've been leaning hard, and I, I felt even in my, in my heart, it seemed like over the last six months or a year, I was starting to just feel a little edge. Lord, why don't you just make it a little easier for me? You know, I'm doing this stuff. I mean, you know. And, and I just had this freshness of the Lord just speaking to my heart, even in the last few days, of just saying, Shelly, I am, I am ridding you of whole issues you would have if you had comfort and ease and larger wealth. And he said, do you realize how addicted your soul would be if you had everything you wanted? And I went, whoa, you know, that's, that's true. He knows me. He knows my frame. And I'm not, you know, claiming to poverty. I want to, I want to abound. I want to be able to give in a huge way. And I'm able to give in a huge way in some seasons. And some seasons I'm just leaning hard, you know. But, 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 but comfort is something that goes along with these false messengers. And what happens is because they're addicted to comfort in their own personal life, they tend to want to speak that word. They tend to want to give a word that also brings comfort. And in Jeremiah's day, I mean, it's stunning. They didn't, the, the false prophets, some of the ones that came up, especially the ones in Jeremiah's day, specific ones were not actually saying go worship an idol. Now that exists. The, the ones who say go worship Baal, just straight up, just go worship him. That's, yeah, that's a false prophet. But there's these other ones. There's another category of them, and it seems to me in my studies there's more of these guys. And these guys say they're speaking in the name of the Lord. They say good things. They say stuff like Jeremiah is standing before, you know, the king of southern Israel at that time after the divided kingdom. It's getting ready to the, the beginning of the Babylonian exile is taking place. It's a judgment that's creeping down, and Jeremiah is seeing it ahead of time. It's like bearing down on him. He's seeing it. He stands before the king of Judah at that time, and he gives him the word. And they and and he says, you know, you are you yourself. Your only hope is surrender to the judgments of the Lord, King. Just go. You will be a slave in your family, but you'll live if you go with the judgment. If you go against the judgment, you'll die. And um, and he says, Jerusalem, this holy city, it will be burned to the ground. Can you imagine? Like it's, and I mean it's. And and the other prophet rises up and says, No, no, that guy is full of it. I mean, really, it's like the dueling prophets. The other guy gets up. And he says, no. He, he says, no, that's not the word. I say, I see peace. Jeremiah looks at him and says, I hope you're right. I mean, I don't have time to go through all the verses on it, but this is the story. He, he looks at him and says, I hope you're right. In fact, I'll give you a test. He says, if you're right, pray to the Lord and bring that peace. You know? So there comes another little key in there. You know, the false prophets' prayers are not effective. The, the, and of false messengers. It doesn't have to be like false capital P, but I'm just saying, I want to be a true messenger. I don't know as far as it'll all go, but I want to be a true messenger of the Lord. And Jeremiah looks at this guy and says, you're a true prophet? Prove it by asking the Lord to bring peace. And, and Jeremiah in his heart said, I hope you're right, and I'm the wrong guy, because then everybody's not going to get killed. But guess what? That guy was wrong. <laughs> Jeremiah said he'll be dead, and he died. Dropped dead for, in that, for speaking that word at that level. You know, and so he, so he's um, he's standing. It's the dueling prophet standing before the king, and that might be my own cell phone ringing, which, which I'm much ashamed. Please grab it, somebody. Just grab it, turn it off. 
that's bad. Backstage, you know, I'm running all these things. Anyways, so they're standing before the Lord, before the king in that way. And you see, what caused that false messenger to speak that word? Comfort, many things, but he wanted that to be true. He had more nationalistic pride than loyalty to Jesus. Now, where does that leave us as Americans? How many times have you heard a prophetic messenger draping the American flag around themselves in a, you know, in a way, you know, and saying, you know, this, and the Lord is always on America's side. The Lord is not on America's side right now. Or better said, America is not on the side of the Lord. Do we have an invitation? Yes. Do we have some godly heritage in our beginning? Yes. We may or may not have made a covenant with the Lord in our early days. I don't know that that's true. I've studied it. I don't know for sure if the Lord reciprocated that covenant. And if he did, we're in more trouble than usual because the ones who do make a covenant with him as a nation get more judgment. Read about Israel. Look at that. But like, (laughs) for real, it's true. So whether or not we have a covenant with the Lord could be we're in more trouble or not. But this I know with all of my heart. We are not on the Lord's side right now, for sure. Our entire culture, and there's many things, and, and we would like to even just pinpoint it to one thing, say, let's just get this one thing fixed. It's not one thing, it's everything. And our enemy is not bin Laden. Our enemy is not the Islamic terrorists. I mean, they are, you know, they're, they're an enemy, but so was the army of Babylon sent by a demonized leader named Nebuchadnezzar, who Jesus called my servant. Okay. Now, does that mean that, that God is the one that, you know, whispers into the evil and serves up? No, but the Lord took his hand off, and we didn't wake up. 9-11 came, and that was in the encounter, too, in the turn word. 9-11 came, and we were moved for a short amount of time. And then Katrina came. Again, we were moved for a short amount of time. You know that even in the judgments of the Lord and in, in, in the biblical judgments that take place throughout the prophets, he'll hit the upper class, and then he'll hit the lower class. He'll hit till every single class of society has been hit. So everybody knows it's everybody's fault. I mean, it's the pattern of judgment. He, he, he starts and he just goes down and down and down and down. And you go, well, I can't, that's, you know, whoa, you know, that's creeping in a little bit. I don't have a grid for that. I don't have enough of a grid for it either because I don't have a grid for the Bible enough yet. I really don't. I, I'm, I'm behind. I know that I'm behind on where I'm supposed to be related to my understanding of the judgments of the Lord and the end times. And the only thing I'm, I feel at all peace about is the fact that I'm very disturbed. That helps me <laughs> to know that I am, I don't feel like I'm ready. And the other, you know, the, 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 the reality, a, a third, a third reality between the true messengers and the false ones. We got the comfort. We have the second one, the nationalistic pride. Those are the, the, the first two. Uh, things that you see just take these guys down you know the third the third area is self-promotion for sure it's self-promotion it's i want my reputation to be right you know even jonah and like you know we all know the story of jonah but if you really look down to the end of it, what really happened was he got mad because the lord because the lord revival broke out in nineveh and the lord had given a conditional word and there are different types of judgments some are conditional some are unconditional you know, the conditional ones are the, are the ones that we can move by our, us moving again. Does it, does it change God? Does God become less of a judge? No, we can change. That's how you avert a judgment of the Lord. You don't plead with the Lord and say, please, Jesus, don't be so mean. Why are you so mean all the time? He'll say, I'm a bridegroom, and, and my plans are perfect, and the nations learn righteousness by my judgments. He'll be like, calm down, little one. You have no idea. You know? But what we can do is say, Lord, give time. Lord, give a revival in America. Lord, we repent. You know, and so Nineveh repented, 
And Jonah, you know, he was on, he was borderline of stepping into the false prophet category after he'd given an awesome declaration. I mean, you know, and he, and you just never know how it all ended up in the editing process. I'm sure the Lord was like, all right, little guy, I'll delete the part about the whale. I'll delete all this other stuff. And you, you made it in the end. I mean, I don't know. But the point is he, he, he went and he said judgment is coming. And he was so concerned about his own reputation. Well, what if, you know, I said judgment's coming. Now judgment's not coming. That makes me look bad, you know. And the Lord goes, no, self-promotion cannot creep into the, to the prophetic messenger. And, 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 and these three areas, there, there are many more. If we had more time, I'd, we'd, I could go into them. But let me just close just with a few little kind of overall summaries on this. And again, we're going to work on getting some notes online because I have a bunch of notes on these kinds of things. Um, and you can, uh, you can feel free to email me. Also, uh, my email is just Shelly. Hundley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, H-U-N-D-L-E-Y, at IHOP.org, if you want some notes on that. And um, I'll try to get you hooked up with that. But, but the thing that I'm feeling in my spirit right now, for my own personal, for myself, is, you know, when I, was, when I first got saved, I knew that the Lord had a prophetic calling on my life. It was evident pretty soon when I came back to the Lord um, in my college years that the Lord had that on my life. And in my earlier days, I used to think that being a true messenger and being a false messenger was, you know, was you had to just fully be worshiping Satan on the side and in, into the occult to be a false messenger. When I study the scriptures, and this is what I'm saying, I'm giving you a vision and a warning. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you a vision for the re- how deep you will have to go, how deep the Holy Spirit will have to go in, into you to make you a true messenger. I just want to speak as a sister in the Lord. I just want to speak a clear word in saying this is not easy. <laughs> and this will demand everything that you have. And you can't cheat. There's no cheating on being a messenger. You can't cheat the Holy Spirit and have these areas in and those areas out. You have a secret addiction to an area of comfort. You have something that you're going to. You have a greed. You have a selfish ambition. You have something that's that kind of just going around underneath the surface. And it's coming up. You know, just barely, but then you're thinking, no, I got that thing tamed. It is beyond getting something tamed. And I, the Lord is hungry for prophetic messengers right now. I was in my hotel room last night, and I just, I couldn't sleep, and I thought maybe it was just because the, all the details of the conference were going through my head because I was running so many things backstage. So I'm just laying there, and I'm going, I need to actually get to sleep. You know, we've got kind of a lot to do tomorrow. And it took me a while to clue in. I think the Lord's speaking to me, and I sat up and just began to pray and just read the word. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly, I mean, just in a real clear way, and said, Shelly, carry my burden again. Carry it. It was so clear. I just began to weep. And I, I haven't been in a time of, you know, you go through different times. I haven't felt that burden that closely to my heart. I've been seeking it, and I've been telling my friends, pray the burden isn't as strong as it needs to be. Because when that burden is there, I make different choices. I make different choices with my time, with my mouth, with my speech, with my friends. Just different things are, are different. I, I just, I started weeping. I couldn't get away from you. He spoke to me again. Shelly, carry my burden. Carry my burden. And I just, um, I, did, I, I felt just the emotions of the Lord's heart. And I felt his longing. And, you know, we know that we sing about the worship songs that quote the psalm about, you know, the burden, casting our burdens on the Lord. You know, it's good. And come to me, all those, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and, you know, uh, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. You know, my, it's light and easy. We, we, under, we, we have a concept of what it means to, to give our cares to the Lord. What about the Lord giving his cares to you? No. 
What about the Lord giving his cares to you? What about just him for him, for his sake? What about it's not even a word that you're getting ready to give somebody? What about you just incline your ear and say, Lord, is there a complaint on your heart that you would just want to speak to a friend about? Is there a burden on your heart that I could just carry with you, Lord? I was with the children's church, and um, children are, are amazing. The Lord's touching the kids here at IHOP. And I, I was asking them about prophecy, and I was asking them, you know, what what the what the definition of prophecy is, and I was just kind of saying, you know, does the Lord speak? And there it was a bunch of new kids. They just moved here, so they weren't, you know, fully immersed in all the things and spent the times in the prayer room and stuff. And this little nine-year-old kid says, yeah, yeah he speaks. And, and I said, well, what's the, what's the burden of the Lord? What does that mean? And I wasn't, I was just talking. I wasn't necessarily like I had the answer. I was just asking questions, seeing what the Lord's speaking to them, and then going to go from there, and I did a teaching for them. And this little nine-year-old guy, he says, the burden of the Lord is where you sweat hard because it's on you and you walk slower than everybody else because the burden is on you and he said and it's where jesus is crying and he's weeping but when he he looks at you and you start weeping with him it makes him smile and he goes it's and he's a little nine-year-old he said i know it's weird but he just he cries but he still continues to cry but he smiles because you're carrying the burden and I just, um, it just came back to me last night. That was a few years ago that I heard a kid say it. It just came back to me in such a tender way last night. I was just the Lord saying, Jolly, will you carry my burden? Will you be concerned with me? Will you care? Will you care for me? Will you listen to me? Will you let me disrupt you? You know? And, and you know, will you, will you let me just speak to you when it's just for you to hear? And that's it? I mean, what happens when the Lord starts saying stuff to you, but it doesn't fit into your action plan? You know, it's not a strategy for your ministry being unfolded. You know, what about when he goes, put the ministry being unfolded aside? I just need a friend. You know, I just want a friend. And if you think that's unbiblical or you think that's, uh, that can't be how God is, read Matthew 26, Jesus in Gethsemane. And he says, stay with me, watch with me. It wasn't just so that his guys would be fueled up in their prayer life and, you know, would be able to face it. He, he, he desired companionship. All through the prophets, he desires companionship. He desires it. And, and, and if you hear one thing today, hear this. It's the issue of comfort. True comfort, in the true biblical sense, it, it means to give strength to. And that's good. It's to give strength to. And, and many times, the word comfort, you can study it out. I've found the majority of times, looking in the Old Testament and New, comfort is spoken of. It's actually related to the judgments of the Lord. And Thessalonians, it says, comfort each other with these words. He's coming in flaming fire, and he will take vengeance. When's the last time that you... Yeah. It wasn't like a box of Kleenex, you know? Oh, Lord, comfort them. You know, we don't, even, we don't understand what that word means. We really don't. Have you noticed that our churches have gotten more and more comfortable and in the sense that we don't even have floors you kneel on anymore? You know, I mean, just, we don't, I'm not saying we need to go home and change all our chairs or something, but I'm just saying we are addicted to comfort. We really are. I am. You are. And, and this issue of comfort will kill the spirit of prophecy. It'll kill it. We won't be ready to hear or give the word that disrupts. So let's stand. I'm just going to pray over you a short prayer. And I want to ask you just as we, as we, as soon as we pray to just, do a favor and just exit as, as soon as you can. If you want to sit in the presence of the